0: Kiwi build. It's a retreat. Water wars. We have been thrown under the tractor. Food grants. Pushing me down
1: every time.
0: And the Kiwi jihadi. I want
1: to live a normal life.
0: Welcome to Inside Parliament, our weekly catch up about the stories that we've been covering On One News. I'm Jessica Much Mackay. I'm Mikey Sherman.
2: And I'm Benedict Collins.
0: And we're going to start off with our pits and peaks, just like usual. Shall I start off with my peak of the week this week? Um, Mine was that Judith Collins, in her press release, described the KiwiBuild reset as a damp squib. Now I have to admit that I hadn't heard that phrase before. I very much like it. I like the way that it sounds and it means a situation or event much less impressive than expected. So I'm not sure if anyone else had to google that term to find the definition but i very much liked it and i like um when you can find new words in your vocabulary that you didn't know about so um that that was a peak for me yeah i think
2: it was famously used
0: uh, not that
2: uh, a few years back about a budget as well someone um, an economist described a, a budget as a damp squib, squib a few years it's just back. a good mm. word to mm.
0: say squib
3: squib sounds like squid That's <laughs> all that comes to mind
0: <laughs> what's your pick Peak this week.
3: Um, My peak this week uh, is um, an initiative which saw uh, New Zealand libraries across the country donate some books um, to um, create a library in Tonga. Um, So I thought that was pretty cool when I heard that. So a bunch of libraries across the country put some books in, um, and they managed to get um, quite a few in order to create a library over in Tonga. It's really cool. Awesome.
2: Mm. I have two peaks this week, both Kiwibuild related. One was the excellent Rod Emerson cartoon this week with uh, Megan Woods sitting uh, Miley Miley Cyrus-esque atop the wrecking ball coming in and destroying Kiwi Build. I thought that was great. Not sure if I was a little bit disappointed or a little bit relieved that the Minister had her clothes on, unlike Miley, atop that wrecking ball. Thank you for
0: that thought, though. I'm sure the Minister will will be very thankful as well. Yeah,
2: and um, the other peak, um, this was a, a ferocious column by Newsroom's Bernard Hickey, Uh, attacking um, uh, Labour, the Labour government basically for backing down on KiwiBuild following its back down on the capital gains tax as well, uh, very unhappy um, about what this is doing to the younger generation coming through, leaving houses really un- unaffordable. And this is what he's written here. The death of the CGT and Kiwi build along with only tiptoeing steps on climate change, proved Jacinda Ardern is just another transactional smile and wave politician who believes she is better at wielding the status quo than the other lot. She has now forfeited any right she had to talk about being transformational and claiming ownership of a generation's dream.
0: I'm well, so pretty curious so mm. <laughs> That's very brutal. I enjoyed reading it. Yes. So um you very positive <laughs> this week as well, which is good. I had a negative. Did you, you go first with your with your pit?
3: My pit? Uh, This week is young Joe Johnson, the younger brother of uh, Boris Johnson, who's resigned uh, as a minister, um, saying that he's torn between family loyalty um, and the national interest. And I just thought, oh, gosh, you know, after um, so much trouble, um, for Boris Johnson over the um, Brexit um, kerfuffle uh, to have his younger brother then step down is just a real
0: big punch in the guts and uh, it's got to hurt. I'd be pretty dark if my brother didn't back me if I was finding this <laughs> no. I would be having work Christmas
3: is going to be interesting yeah. this year,
0: folks. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, mine also relates to, um, to Brexit, but for much more selfish reasons, I'm having major FOMO about um, the coverage of Brexit Brexit, I was Europe Cross Europe it from 2013 to 15, so we sort of had the beginnings of it, but this week has just been so fun and so messy, and just watching it from afar has been um, so delightful, so um, I do have a little bit of, of FOMO for not being able to report on it, but... Um, but, yeah, I think it's been fascinating this yeah, week. For an interesting sure.
2: time for one user's European correspondence to be switching over. Right?
0: Absolutely, yeah. And it's George almost. Coming
2: back and Daniel heading over. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, it's really interesting. Um, well, talking of switching over, we've had the Kiwi build reset this week, very highly anticipated. So let's have a look at that. <laughs> A broken promise. One hundred thousand over ten years is unchanged.
2: We're going to build one hundred thousand affordable homes over ten years. We'll get ourselves up to one hundred thousand homes.
0: And today, it is as many as we can, as fast as we can. How should the public hold you to account if there's no target? We will be publishing all our figures um, monthly. Actually, the targets were
3: provide, providing some um, perverse outcomes. That it became about chasing the target. It has been showing up for what it is—an absolute fraud.
0: The government's now admitting it failed with 461 Kiwi-built homes in Canterbury, Wanaka and Te near Hamilton. They'll now be sold to anyone, including investors. We are clearing the decks of what hasn't worked. The minister says it's all part of the reset. Now it'll be a 5% deposit instead of 10, so-called second chances like single parents will be allowed to buy, even if they have a sizeable deposit from their first home. And if you're after a one bedroom or studio, you'll only have to live in it for one year instead of three before you sell it. All in a bid to help first home buyers like this Nelson couple.
2: We're spending $20,000 a year um, helping someone else out. So, you know, just, yeah, something for us and for our kids later on. Um, Yeah, it'd be cool.
0: There will also be new rules for developers where they'll get more money for selling Kiwi-built homes.
2: I don't think it's made it any
3: more developer-friendly.
0: Despite a lack of detail, the Greens say the boost for rent-to-own and shared ownership schemes is a big coalition win.
3: We are going to put home ownership back within the realm of lower-income people.
0: This reset has haunted the government since January.
1: I think most good things take nine months to gestate. It's not a reset, it's a retreat. It's a total and abject failure. A
0: political failure the government is trying to revive. Well, I think we were all waiting for this big reset. It's been a long time coming, nine months coming, for the government to make this announcement. And I think we saw a few things there. We saw um, Megan Woods basically laying out all the dead rats, and I wrote a... um, an analysis piece saying it was basically like she laid out all the rats on her desk um, and they were lying there with their tongues hang- hanging out and she acknowledged them each one by one going through them all so she said look that's that there and then this is what I'm going to do and it, and she gave enough to spark interest for people to make people saying the all-important important question ah maybe I could get Kiwi build. and I think that's what she needed to do. She needed to just have a little bit of a spark. I think um, not doing the target, 100,000, that's a massive failed promise. They went over and over again. It was aspirational. People voted for it. People liked the idea of having this big housing policy that was going to do something. And they just have basically given up on that and said, oh, we'll do as many as we can. So I think that that's that's a big blow, but I think that if she can, if they can re-spark that again, maybe Kiwi belt will stop being um, such a such a deflated word for the government.
3: I really thought um, Megan Woods um, delivered a really strong performance um, on this. This is the first time we've been able to sort of watch her um, in this new portfolio as Housing Minister. I think she delivered a good, solid performance. I heard her even in an interview with Mike Hosking um, uh, on his breakfast show and, you know, he doesn't go lightly. And I thought she did well um, to hold her own. Um, Quite impressive. Um, In terms of the detail, um, yeah, some really um, interesting changes and we heard even you know chatter around um, you know a, a few of the circles here at Parliament just saying that they they did think that they would now be more eligible um, crucial things like lifting that sort of cap um, in Wellington in particular from 500 to six hundred thousand um, dollars because we just know that prices um, for houses here um, just aren't sitting under that 500k mark so you know practical things like that that people can look at and say hey yep that might help me the five percent Deposit um, that might help me too, and also being able to get your family to pitch in—all of those little things um, could be just what this scheme needs.
2: What did you make, Jess? Of you know, now they're bringing in—they're looking at shared equity plans and rent-to-own, or rent, or also called rent-to-buy schemes—that you know had been part of the Greens' colour, oh, the Greens' um, <coughs> confidence and supply agreement with Labor—that these were to be looked at as part of KU Build now it's floundering now they're saying oh yeah maybe we'll have a look at these what did what did you sort of make of that
0: i thought it was interesting the whole way that this played out so we had on on the tuesday we got some hints that you did a live cross on saying that a, a some kind of rent to own scheme was on the way and that the greens obviously that was their baby and something that they've been really pushing for so i think um it was interesting that that kind of got out ahead of hmm. the ahead of the announcement i also think that That, hey, we're doing this big thing. Oh, but we don't have any details yet. So just wait and see. And I do think that the public appetite for that is waning. We first heard about this reset in January. Yep, we've had a new minister coming in. But you do think that, yep, it's a complex scheme, all of that. But you kind of need to have your I's dotted and your T's crossed. It felt like it's been delay after delay after delay. And coming out and saying we're going to look at a shared equity or a rent to buy scheme as part of this it'll cost $400 million. we don't have details yet it's because it just still not, needs
2: to go through cabinet it hasn't
0: right? even gone to cabinet yet and then yeah. it will be presented at the end of the year and it just seemed like that doesn't really wash I think just with a
2: matter of months before an election you know which is looking for 50, yeah, 50 anyway right like, yeah, oh, but especially you when you
0: asked people to vote on it last election yeah, and they yeah. did and then it, it just I mean I think that You've got it you they needed to have the detail of that, and um Kimberly Downs did a a track for us on the Wednesday night, going into as much detail as she possibly could with the limited details that we had um explaining you know what it could mean, but we should have been we should have been doing a story and this is what it will mean for you and this is what you can vote on for next year. And
3: even Labour has been looking at it like, you know, we say, said the Green Party, it's been their baby, but Labour's been talking a bit about, um, a bit around the edges on this too, even Phil Twyford, so
0: not to have done a little bit more work is disappointing. It was in, conf- it was in the Confidence and Supply Agreement, that's two years ago, mm. you know, it's just and Madam Davidson came out in the press conference and said, look, this is a big win, this is, you know, a real career highlight for her, and I can get that, but we just we don't know how it's going to work yet. So it's you know, you it's kind of one of those frustrating things that um, that they're then going to have another re announcement of this probably at the beginning of next year. And do, I don't know, I just think they should have had, had it sorted this reset. as as I said in that track has been nine long and and let me tell you nine months seems like a very long time right now I I, I have to tell you.
3: The one thing that I do think could potentially cause problems for the government with this Kiwi Build reset is that dashboard that monthly dashboard I think that is such a constant each month to have to have this dashboard come up and if you know Megan Woods was asked you know how are you going to measure um, and you know is it going to be if you've built one house that's a good thing and what you know the problem is they could just have, you know, one month they'll have 16 houses, the next month they'll have five houses. One, you know, just, just to have to show that dashboard each month It's one thing for transparency but it's another to be setting yourself up and we saw them set themselves up with those targets earlier on that they had to scrap I wonder if you know this is simply a target by another name even though it won't have anything to measure against we'll be measuring because we'll be measuring month on month and we'll be seeing um, whether they're building more houses than the month before and if not why not
0: It's kind of a little bit like weight loss though the number one thing they say (laughs) is at the beginning of it set a target and make it measurable like it's just not rocket science when you're trying to do goals and the government's failed to do that here and maybe i'll segue on that when you're trying to lose weight you also have to drink a lot of um water for for um, a, one of life's essential gifts so let's have a look at mikey's story on water
3: down on the farm in canterbury chris allen's feeling the weight of the government's freshwater plans
2: farmers probably think we have been thrown under the tractor and in this particular case.
3: The tough new rules state from June next year, new irrigation or conversion to dairying will only happen where there's evidence it will not increase pollution. And there's a goal to reduce nitrogen within five years, including up to 80% in some catchments.
2: But it's not a total ban. It, it just puts in place a pretty strict test that people would have to meet in order to get approval.
3: But Federated Farmers says it could spell the end for some.
2: And there's going to be some places that farming, as we know it, would not be able to exist. I think it's a ridiculous statement. No, we won't see farmers closing down for this.
3: There'll be tougher controls around drinking water sources, avoiding another Havelock North disaster, no more draining or development of wetlands, and new minimum standards for wastewater discharges.
2: Many places we swim in as kids are now not to swim in, safe to swim in, and that's just not good enough.
3: What also isn't good enough, say Iwi, Tainui and Ngaitahu, is the lack of treaty partnership in today's announcement, despite a Waitangi Tribunal report calling for such.
1: I do think this is more than partnership. This, is, this has to be a negotiated arrangement between the Crown and the tribes.
3: But the Minister has made a big commitment today, backing a call from the Government's advisory group Te Kahui Wai to resolve Māori customary title and rights in water within the next three years.
2: I would hope that we achieve it within that three-year time period. Uh, There are some things that are beyond our control uh, as to the actions that people take through the courts.
1: We've got an election coming next year and I probably see that this is probably going to be a hot kumara for some people. Proposals
3: are now open for public consultation with the final report due back before the end of the year. So David Parker there rolling out his plan to basically turn our woeful waterways around within a generation, which is about 25 to 30 years, um, and he's saying we'll also see the first of those changes we will see the ship sort of turn around in about five years. I think that's pretty ambitious, five years, given just, you know, how woeful um the quality of our waterways um, are at the moment. But um yeah, heaps there to to look over.
2: And it's interesting too to given that nitrogen takes so long to seep into waterways. Into the, yeah,
3: waterways. The you ground. know, to, to
2: try and turn things around when you've got decades of the problem keeping on coming, even if you removed you know, dairy or intensive agriculture. Immediately, it would still keep on coming for quite a while, right?
3: And just on that, we saw, um, you know, um, mentioned uh, uh, during discussions when we were sort of looking over the documents, and you had experts there um, available to answer questions. And I sort of asked them, "Oh, look, look at this um, land, air, and water report. Um, what's it showing us?" And he says, "Oh, it's basically showing us that um, half of the waterways um, that we monitor are getting better, and half of them are getting worse." And I said, "Okay, cool. What what what's getting worse?" And he was like. ground um, water nitrogen is getting worse Mm. which is basically the runoff from farmers and so on Um, it's getting worse by around 66 percent two-thirds of our waterways are getting worse so that problem is huge it's still happening and that's why we saw that big sort of push towards farmers um, who obviously said that they feel like they've been thrown under the tractor so Real tricky debate there.
0: Yeah, I, I liked that phrase actually. That appealed to me. But I think that that's very much the reaction the next day that we've seen from that. That farmers are saying that they feel targeted by this, and they're saying that they're the only ones who have to um, make changes, and and um, they're the ones that are going to be suffering the consequences that's, of they're it. Causing
1: lots <laughs> of
3: the problem.
0: <laughs> but I also think it's interesting that we do. And and one of the points when uh, listening to one of your interviews that you did yesterday is that you can't lump all farmers into one category. That there is there is a group of farmers who are obviously um, doing a lot in this space already and 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 making improvements. And it's almost um, we say farmers in a in quite a broad collective term. So I did think that that point was interesting to make that some are making um, big inroads on this issue and making real changes, but it is a large group. Um, who perhaps have a long way to go and will be suffering the consequences of the changes that were were announced yesterday.
3: Yeah, and the other interesting element to yesterday's um, announcement as well were some of the um, recommendations um, from the government's Māori advisory group. One of those was um, to have Māori rights um, and interests in water um, sorted within the next three years. When I read that, I thought, wow, that's quite ambitious because, you know, obviously we, we saw this issue sort of plague the national government for uh, eight, nine years uh, and they didn't really want to touch it, put it in the too hard basket. Uh, We sort of came into this Labour government and David Park has been quite keen to sort of say oh look we're just focusing on on water quality at the moment, we'll deal with allocation and and rights and interests later on. Um, The advisory group said let's get it sorted within the next three years and David Parker said yes I'm not going to put any sort of specific time frame on it but I think we can get it done within three years I thought that was quite interesting like that's a big sort of um, uh, positive attitude shall we say to take towards that to, to be able to sort such a tricky issue that's been plaguing us for years and years within the next
0: three years. Yeah, very, very ambitious. Very oh ambitious. no, but they've lost the right to say that according to Bernard You remember? <laughs> um, I am sensing a bit of a theme in our stories though already. We've had shelter ticked off the list, water now ticked off the list. What's the next logical Let's one? have That's a look at
2: food. food. <laughs> Careers as a social worker and crane operator cut short by ill health, now repeatedly having to ask work and income for food grants. It can be the first thing in... Um, It's it's not very
1: good for your health.
2: I just feel they're pushing me down every time. Work and income staff in Auckland have been told to calculate food grants by using Otago University's food cost survey, which tracks the annual cost of common food items. Which has resulted in people getting a lot less than what they're used to and also for people's um, individual requirements to be ignored. Now the food survey authors are speaking out too.
1: We haven't had any conversations with WINS about them using the data, data and we haven't been able to give them any um, information about how they should be interpreting it and the limitations that are involved.
2: They say it shouldn't be happening.
1: No, I wouldn't be uh, comfortable with it being used, for, especially for hardship benefits.
2: And that individuals and small families might be getting too little.
1: For people that need to buy smaller amounts because they're smaller households, it is likely to underestimate the cost
2: No-one at work and income was available to be interviewed today about their use of the Otago Food Survey. But in a statement, they said they're trialling a calculator based on the survey in Auckland to see if it will provide greater consistency. They said individual circumstances are factored in. But back in Auckland, this beneficiary just wants to be heard. I'm just finding it so hard just to go in there and get the support that I need. Food support 230,000 Kiwis asked for in the last three months, more than double the number in need five years ago. This was really interesting. We had Auckland Action Against Poverty um, chat to us and say that they were concerned about the Otago Food Survey being used and so we started to look into it and pretty quickly Otago University came back and said uh 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 uh, this should never have been used here and that's because they make so many assumptions in their data um so what they'll do is they'll, they'll go to Auckland um I think there's three or four cities they go to around the country and they'll go around a supermarket and figure out basically what ingredients you need to put in your shopping trolley to get to get by for a week um and then they work out what that level is um, across across the country in the different cities. But the thing is, they're making a lot of assumptions. For example, they assume that you've got cooking facilities in your house. They assume um, that you've got all the um, things in the pantry that you need to cook from scratch with as well, you know, your, your oils and your flours and all that stuff. Now, there are many other assumptions they make too, but that's simply not reality for many people who are having to get food grants and... I think there's about 20,000 Kiwis a week who are having to get food grants because they don't have enough to live on, and not just beneficiaries, but people who don't earn enough even though they're working, right, to keep enough food on the table, about 20,000 a week. But lots of them are living in motels. And as soon as you don't have cooking equipment or you don't have a freezer, that really changes the nature of the foods that you need, right, to get from the supermarket and it changes the cost of everything as well so for um, the Ministry of Social Development to be using this calculator and I thought it was one of the most incredible things I've heard in a while that they've never even spoken to Otago University about using this information I mean what on earth is going on here um, and we're keeping running on the story we're going to try and do another story tonight on it and we're still trying to get someone from the Ministry of Social Development to front up and explain. What on earth is going on here?
0: And that's the thing. It's a really interesting piece of research that obviously is very um, well respected. It's at yeah, like Motaga yeah. University. It's just not what this was designed for. Absol- and one I, of,
2: yeah, and those scientists, that's what they're saying. Look, yeah. this was never intended to be used to, to try and assign food grants for people who don't have enough food.
0: And what one thing I thought was really interesting is a is a discrepancy between men and women as well, and, and how blunt that tool is, um, because men get get more um, than than women, and we were just doing a you know thinking, an Olympian like Valerie Adams or someone like that, and a very um, slight man, um, they're they're not getting the same, or they're getting the man's getting even less, they- and I just think. That there's, oh, the
2: woman's getting even less. Sorry, the woman's yeah, getting yeah, even yeah. less,
0: and I just think that that, I mean, that's just one example of how you can't apply it unless you're there, sitting across the table from someone, saying, "Actually, you should have this, and you should have this," you know, athletic builds, etc., yeah. etc. And
2: also quite concerning because the Otago University, the nutritionists there who work on the survey, they're like, "Look, we assume it's a family of four, and we assume that." Everyone's healthy and don't have, you know, any allergies or health issues, you know, they don't have diabetes or, or, or any of these complicating factors which would radically change the types of food that you need. And it also becomes even more problematic because they assume it's always a family of four, so you can buy things in bulk. For example, there what they told me was you can go and buy a one kilo block of cheese if you're a family of four. Whereas if you're an individual, you're not going to be buying things out. At such, you know, at this quantity, and so you're actually paying more for it. Um, You know, if you get 250 grams of cheese, it's more expensive than getting the larger amount. And when you multiply that across every single item in your food basket, things become radically unfair really quickly.
3: So I'm just really astounded that the ministry won't front for an interview on this because how can you not front for an interview when you're using a study and you've got the university themselves saying, hey, we were never consulted, they never came to us and spoke to us, Um, this is not what it was for. And then you've got those who are uh, directly impacted by this saying, yeah, we've found it really tough in terms of those beneficiaries, and yet the ministry won't front. I think, you know, they absolutely should.
2: Yeah, we're trying again today for both the ministry... And the Minister, so, I mean, that, that could change uh, this afternoon. But, yeah, the beneficiaries interesting. They're telling us, hey, they're getting less now than they than they used to now that the Sotago food survey is being, has been implemented across the Auckland mm. Auckland region.
0: It's such an interesting story, and I think um, it's got a little while to play out yet.
2: Yeah, so, is... the, so the Prime Minister did, did tell us yesterday, um, and, and the Minister's also given us a statement yesterday telling us that, hey, they want some answers from MSD around what's going on here. Mm. We
0: wait with bated breath.
2: (laughs) We do. Well, something
0: that the Prime Minister wants answers on and something she'd perhaps rather not answer questions on is the issue of the New Zealand jihadi Mark Taylor. Um, Let's have a look at that story from Sunday. (laughs) From a jail in Syria, the converted Muslim has this message for the Christchurch gunman.
1: If he becomes a Muslim, God can forgive him of his sins.
0: TVNZ sent a local cameraman to interview the 46-year-old. We asked him about the missing New Zealand nurse, Louisa Akavi, who was working in Syria.
1: As far as I'm aware, I haven't heard anything. The majority of women in, in, in ISIS are fully covered, head to toe.
0: He wanted to talk to us to get this fresh appeal back to New Zealand.
1: I don't want to be uh, a problem maker. I just want to come home, I want to live a normal life.
0: He says New Zealand's racism has a part to play in people
1: not wanting to help him. They don't like Muslims and especially don't like me to return back. But My brother's not a bad man. He hasn't killed anyone.
0: His family says he's gullible and has a low IQ. His sister Sandy told TVNZ Sunday she's conflicted but is speaking out on behalf of her late mum.
1: One of my mum's last wishes was to have him back in New Zealand. Um, even though he'd be in jail, he'd be safe.
0: But it's not that simple. He joined a terrorist group, burned his passport as a show of unity, and claims he was forced to be part of propaganda videos.
1: If it means you have to stab a few police officers and soldiers on Anzac Day, and so do you I don't want to have anything to do with it. I'm finished.
0: He caused outrage over comments about ISIS sex slaves during an interview with an Australian journalist, and isn't backing away now.
1: I don't know if I can afford it, but that's... Uh... For me, it wasn't my concern, it wasn't my problem. What I did was I got married to a Syrian woman instead. And it only cost me $500 for the dowry. The politics
0: of this is complicated. The US have called on governments to get their people out of Syria. But New Zealand's closest diplomats are across the border in Turkey. And the message from the government has been consistent, if you go, we can't help
1: you. Why would any government bring back an individual who not only has renounced his citizenship, but has called for the killing of Kiwis?
0: If he does make it home, he'll face the justice system.
1: There's no problem as long as I can uh, get back to a normal lifestyle and uh, do some business that would, uh, like a self-employed business, like running a shop, coffee shop, for example.
0: That may seem far-fetched from his Syrian jail cell. So this has been um, a story that I've been covering for a little while now, and I just find so fascinating in, in all of the different elements. Uh, we got we set up this interview and um, worked with the Sunday program on it and put some questions to a we call it a, a stringer. Um, so basically, a camera operator. Um, journalist based um, on the ground, um, and he went in to the to the Syrian jail, the the Kurdish jail in Syria, and and presented these questions to Mark Taylor. And it was we've had um, an ABC interview with him before, and then this was the first um, New Zealand one he's done before and it's really interesting um you know we, we get back a 45 minute interview and so um as a journalist it's fascinating just going through and and hearing all of the things from him and and we picked out the the bits that were perhaps most interesting and most relevant um for the for the viewers but i just find the whole dilemma so fascinating with with what happens next if you do you just Leave him there because he doesn't have a passport, and and because of that, we, we he loses the obligations. Um, or do you help him get home? Give him more help than you would give a normal, ordinary New Zealander when he's when he's made some quite serious um, life decisions that have put him in this place. It's really interesting. And the prime minister's just
3: been really staunch on this actually um, hasn't she? She hasn't budged she's basically said look we made it clear um, that people shouldn't be travelling to Syria and sorry mate you're on your own Um, and yeah so uh, interesting um, position to take there. Obviously still like the likes of the Green Party and stuff would rather have have us bring him home so that he can be New Zealand's problem and not someone else's problem Um, and I thought really interesting um, to hear from the sister. Um, of Mark Taylor because it's no doubt a tricky position for them as a family too I can only imagine having to sort of navigate that um, you know dealing with you know thinking about your brother going away and, and sort of getting caught up in all of that but then obviously she mentioned her mum um, and just wanting to sort of bring him home um, so that they can sort of help him back here. So it's a tricky issue all round.
2: I just really liked that he said he wanted to come back and set up a coffee shop. That really appealed to me Um, as well. You know, uh, it would be interesting seeing Mark Taylor as a as a barista.
0: Yeah, I would and, go in and my
2: um, jihadi espresso. I imagine that would give you a good kickstart to the morning, wouldn't it? Hey.
0: And and that's the That's the thing. I guess that's what happens when you when you spend that much time over there. Is perhaps you lose a little bit of perspective of things. But I think his point in that um, was that he does want to come home and continue to contribute. He doesn't. You know, I I think he's perhaps um, forgetting that he'll have to face the justice system um, before. It, you know when he comes home, but well, he did
2: say, he, Hey, he, he'd accepted he that would. he, had to, he yeah. might have to spend time in prison if he yeah. come back. Hey, and that. But
0: I, but the other possibility is that so, right now, he's in he's in jail and um and and sitting there waiting for the um geopolitics of everything to play out. And there's a there's a possibility that the Kurds could just say, Uh, oh, we don't think you're a harm anymore, go. Um, and I think that he could be in northern, he could just be released into northern Syria and then have to somehow find a way across um, the border into Turkey. And 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 that could happen. I mean it's a, it's a porous border um, he could get across and if he can get to Turkey he can obviously get to the New Zealand Consulate and then we would be compelled to help him. And I think so there is, there is that possibility the other avenue that they could go down would be to get some kind of support from say the US. And if the US pile on the pressure and say to the governments you need to do this now we need out those foreign fighters out um they may be in a position to help us so it's not th- there's one way is that he could just end up staying there another way is that he could end up back on our doorstep as our problem but one of the other things that kind of occurred to me in the story is that we for tvnz we make decisions about whether we go to dangerous places um reasonably regularly as well and one of the um, umbrella decisions that you make is is there consulate support are there, are there diplomats who um, are based there Who do we have relationships with these countries because if something goes wrong and if you get into trouble can we get help and I think that's one of the, the big things that we make calls on and we make decisions on as well and, and often, not often but every now and then turn down trips because there's not enough way to get journalists and camera operators out and I just think that um, if if that happened, let's say it was a journalist there and a camera operator um, we wouldn't have burnt our passports I wouldn't have imagined um, but in that, in that sense you, are you then asking someone to risk your lives to come in and, and get you and most of us wouldn't be prepared to do that and I just think this story for me brings up all sorts of um, moral and legal and ethical dilemmas for people and I, I think that's why it's captured the attention. I know it went to the top of our website um, for more than 24 hours.
2: And those kind of ethical dilemmas for the government. Yeah, yeah. Especially with the US kind of saying, hey, you need to take responsibility for your own citizens.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it just, I think it's a very interesting Mm. story. But... We might have to leave it there for a week. It has been a, a, an interesting week for, for us. It's a recess, been, it's yeah, been, yeah, full on, hasn't busy it? Busy <coughs> week, so um, we'll leave it there. But thank you very much for joining us on One News Inside Parliament. It's our weekly catch up about the political stories that we've been covering. We are on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. It's available around this time each week on One News Now, and check us out on your favourite podcasting app. We'll see you next week. Yeah.